0: This is a Bible study on Colossians chapter 4, and I will also read a few different um, sections from this study guide that I have. It's the Quest question and answer study Bible, and uh, because it does touch on some actually part of chapter 3 too, especially where it talks about wives submitting themselves and husband loving their wives, a lot of people that's some of the top 100 most asked questions and then also about slavery. So I'm going to read what the um, the Bible, uh, the study Bible that I have, how it responds to those topics and questions that people have asked in the past. So as soon as I finish reading this, I will go to those questions and answers in there, in the study Bible. So here are the further instructions for people who have chosen to live in Christ. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what is this salty conversation for a Christian? Salt is a good metaphor for Christian conversation and behavior. As salt improves taste, what believers say and do should likewise leave a, quote, good taste for others. As salt preserves food, Christians should likewise influence others for eternity, preserving them with their grace filled lives followers of Christ should be courteous, honest, and compassionate, exhibiting the fruit of the spirit which is found in Galatians chapter five verses twenty two through twenty five so then going back to the final greetings that that Paul gives Tychocus will tell you all of the, all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with once a us, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristocus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heriopolis. Our Dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas son, greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that's the end of the book of Colossians. But there were a couple things that um, Paul had talked about that bring about questions. And the study guide that I have has responses to those questions. So I'm going to go ahead and read those. So why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? This is also referencing um, the book of Peter in chapter 2, so verses 18 through 21. So this has comes up you know, in Paul's letter and also in Peter's letter. And so I will read this. Why didn't Peter tell masters to set their slaves free? Why did he instruct slaves to submit? Part of the answer is, can be found in Peter's focus. He wanted first to give his readers a Christian perspective. Oh, shoot. I lost my page. So getting back to uh, the Bible condemning slavery. Why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? Why didn't Peter tell masters to set their slaves free? Why did he instruct slaves to submit? Part of the answer can be found in Peter's focus. He wanted first to give his readers a Christian perspective. How could they live in an imperfect society in which righteous people were persecuted? Peter didn't endorse the system but addressed its realities. Also, it helps to understand first century slavery. People considered it a fact of life, a part of the societal structure. Slaves formed the backbone of the workforce in Roman culture, estimated in some areas at more than half the population, Ironically, some slaves were better off than some free people. Often, quote, professionals, such as teachers, doctors, and civil servants, were technically slaves. For these reasons and others, slavery was typically viewed as a morally neutral. We are justifiably angered, however, by the accounts of the 19th century American slave trade. It tore families apart and, and robbed people of their freedom and dignity. Many in Peter's day were equally offended by the cruelty of some slave owners, though those offended were in the minority. While the New Testament did not specifically condemn the institution of slavery, it clearly taught that violence and oppression are wrong. Society gave owners the legal right to beat, This is society. Society gave owners the legal right to beat or even kill their slaves for minor infractions. The New Testament, by contrast, revoked the license slave owners had to mistreat their slaves. Abusive masters would be accountable to God for their actions. That's in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9 and Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. On the other hand, Slaves were to respect and submit to their masters. That's found in Ephesians chapter six, verse five through eight, Titus chapter two, verses nine through ten. The goal was to change relationships within the existing system. For a master and slave to treat one another as as brothers was revolutionary, and that's from Philemon um, verses or chapters, I guess, twelve through seventeen with its emphasis on spiritual freedom the new testament planted the seeds that later convicted 19th century society of the oppressiveness of slavery people came to see that jesus values every person he died for the master as well as the slave the tyrant as well as the oppressed the wealthy as well as the poor then the other topic was about wives submitting to husbands and so forth so This is addressed here. Isn't it chauvinistic to teach wives to submit? And that's referencing um, chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verses 5 through 6. But this was also in what we just read in Colossians, so it addresses that as well. So women in the first century had no legal rights and very little public influence. How then could they influence their unbelieving husbands to believe in God? In spite of such disadvantages, wives could still have a profound impact on their husbands. They could speak loudly for Christ, not necessarily through words, but through their behavior and Christ-like character. Inferiority is not is not implied by the command to submit. The type of submission commanded here is one of role or function necessary for the orderly operation of the home direct confrontation though sometimes necessary might put husbands might put husbands too much on the defensive thus peter counseled wives to disarm their unbelieving husbands and make them more receptive to the gospel by being gentle and quiet in spirit Peter told believing wives to win over their unbelieving husbands not through argumentation, but through the quality of their lives. Actions speak louder than words. These verses have sometimes been abused, as have wives. The Bible doesn't say that husbands have a license to be domineering, abusive, controlling, tyrannical, or dictatorial. It doesn't say that wives are prohibited from expressing themselves thinking independently, or cooperating in decision-making that affects the couple and the family. Biblical submission should not be separated from biblical responsibility. And that's found in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. See the article, What Does the Bible Mean About Wives Submitting to Their Husbands? And I will read that next. Um, Some dismiss these verses in the New Testament as the chauvinistic rhetoric of the first century, but such a view misses the whole servant spirit of Christianity. Submission is commanded for all believers, and that's found in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Not just wives, A submissive spirit runs counter to society's values, and it always has. That's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. However, it remains God's standard for all believers, male and female, young and old, for all time. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. So then going to the next question that says, what does the Bible mean about wives submitting to their husbands? And that's found in, it's covered in Ephesians chapter 5, but it was also covered in Colossians chapter 3. So the Bible isn't saying that husbands have license to be domineering, abusive, controlling, tyrannical, or dictatorial. It doesn't mean that wives shouldn't be allowed to express them selves think independently or cooperate in decision making that affects the couple and the family. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 teaches mutual submission. Husbands and wives are to live in an attitude of humility and service to one another, and together as well as individually, they are to be in submission to Christ. The word submission takes on a positive meaning as we understand the loving God who becomes the source for all authority. When a husband willingly submits to the loving authority of Jesus Christ, he treats his wife with the same sacrificial love that Christ displayed to his bride, the church. When mutual submission is practiced, husbands and wives embody the humble servanthood that epitomized Christ's earthly obedience even to the point of death. We see an example of submission at work in the Trinity. Jesus the Son willingly submitted to the Father because Jesus knew the Father loved him. Similarly, the Holy Spirit willingly submits to Jesus and exalts Jesus in everything he does. While Jesus and the Holy Spirit willingly exercise submission in their relationship with the triune God, they also act as co-equal members of the Godhead. Their willing submission doesn't mean one person in the relationship is less important than the other. The same is true in a marriage relationship. Matthew Henry wrote, The woman was made out of Adam's side, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. And that wraps up Colossians chapter 4, questions and answers.